0: Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writer's Program.
1: I could tell Mom felt really bad for the smack, and it secretly pleased me, although I tried to keep a wounded look on my face.
0: This program features the work of 2012 writer Lacey Jane Henson. Curator Sean Wong sat down with her in the studio. You're writing a novel called Nobody
1: Told Me. Can you just describe briefly what your story is about? It's both a mother-daughter story and also a love story. The daughter falls in love with an older boy, and the mother falls in love with a man that she meets on the side of the road. The Holy Spirit overcomes her while she's driving to church and tells her to pick this man up, and they end up in a relationship. So it's also a story about knowing and coming to know yourself, and also grappling with the unknown, questions like what happens after death, and um, how do we deal with things that happen in life that we can't understand. And one of the things that you deal with in your novel is uh, the role of religion Mm -hmm. in this family, and this relationship, but yet the novel is for a secular audience. Um, Can you explain why you want to deal with religion in, in your story? Well, I was really interested in writing about magic in the world, that there is a sense of magic, and things happen that we don't understand, and I feel like Christians really embrace that idea, and they kind of look for mystery in the world and signs, and so I wanted to write about that group of people because I thought it was a good way to address the kind of magic. Can you talk a little bit about just writing a novel? It's been an interesting process. I think the main thing I've noticed is writing a novel is really an act of faith. You really have to have faith in yourself and in your idea for five years or ten years. And so I think that's almost the most challenging and the most important part is to keep the faith and finishing the novel and keeping the faith that your idea is worth writing about and that your characters are worth, their story is worth telling. What kinds of valuable advice do you think you get from your writing group? I think we all have slightly different things to say and say them in slightly different ways. But at the same time, I found that their opinions will also cohere in these interesting ways. So it'll make it really easy to decide what to do when revising a piece. And also, I mean, getting back to that idea of keeping the faith, it's nice to have other people who are doing the same thing as you and struggling with those same issues. And you can kind of commiserate together or you know,
0: celebrate each other as well. Now we'll hear a selection from Lacey's live reading.
1: I'm going to read a short section
0: from my novel. It's
1: kind of an obscure section. But it's from the perspective of the the daughter who is 15. Mom was a good cook, and I mean an actual good one, not one of those who think they're good, like Mom's friend Hope, who was weirdly proud of stuff like her gluey liverwurst casseroles and got all sensitive if you even hinted they were anything but delicious. Mom had that real chef's touch, wielding her wooden spatula with a precision and grace I could admire, even though that same spatula was used to spank me a few times. She liked cooking, too, relaxing into it after work with a glass of wine in one hand and that spatula in the other, blaring records at full blast. Still, Claire and I were were always begging for restaurant food, despite Mom's great cooking and our being terrified by all the advertising campaigns. I had a series of nightmares about being chased by Ronald McDonald through the playland, and I still begged Mom for those burgers. Seriously? She asked, appalled. I can't believe you want anything associated with that creepy clown. But there was something so magical about the food we saw on TV, McDonald's included. We never had to see it being crafted out of brain shaped meat goo or fried and smelly oil. The food simply appeared bathed in soft romantic light looking all perfect and delicious. Or at least we imagined it was delicious. Mom wouldn't let us have restaurant food. Whenever we asked, she batted us away. Well, if you guys are tired of my cooking, I hear Hope's got a great new recipe, she'd say. Or, once you guys have a job, you can buy whatever kind of food you want. Of course, this only made us want it more. But then one morning, Mom told us about her fancy dinner plan. She was driving us to school, and Claire and I were sleepy, not even thinking about restaurant food at all. Mom was like that, though. Just when you thought your cause was hopeless, you'd find out she'd secretly been considering it the entire time. We couldn't really afford anything but fast food, and Mom's plan was to buy us some every other Friday. That way, we'd know when it was coming and couldn't complain in between. She put some other rules around it, too. One was that the three of us would take turns choosing a restaurant, and the other was that we'd eat off the wedding china. If this is our special dinner, we should really enjoy it, she said. (laughs) Claire and I knew about the wedding china. We'd been admiring it for years inside the hutch against our living room wall. Once, I even snuck a few plates out so Claire and I could use them to play restaurant on the front walk. We were mixing mud soup with crab apples when Mom found us. She screamed, what the hell are are you thinking, and even smacked me on the head. When I yelped, Mom started crying really loud right there in the yard. For a minute, the three of us just sat there looking at each other. I could tell mom felt really bad for the smack and it secretly pleased me, although I tried to keep a wounded look on my face. <laughs> for once, mom was the one who'd wronged me and actually felt bad about it. She sat down and hugged Claire and I together, apologizing. I told her it was okay in the most serious adult voice that I could. Your dad and I used that China, she explained, and even though she didn't say anymore, I got what she meant. We all had things of Dad's that we felt weirdly precious about. Sometimes I slept in this big red sweatshirt of his, praying for dreams of him until I fell asleep. Besides that time, we had only used the china once, as far as Claire and I could recall, when Dad's old friend Harlan came to visit. The first night he stayed with us, Mom made roast chicken with all the fixings and set everything out on the china. There was more of it than we ever knew existed. After dinner, she let Harlan chain-smoke Marlboro's right there in the kitchen, ashing into a gravy boat. Mom usually only had one glass of wine with dinner, but when Harlan was there, the two of them just kept drinking, and the night got later and later. Claire fell asleep at the dinner table. Mom took her to bed, but she let me stay. I kept quiet, hoping they'd forget about me, and it seemed like they did. They talked like I wasn't even there. I heard about how Dad and Harlan drove out to the country to get high and accidentally lit the car on fire. (laughs) I heard about how one time Dad disappeared for days and showed up again at our house like nothing had happened. I still don't know where he went, Mom said. I kept telling the kids he was playing pool. It was a really long game of pool. (laughs) Maybe there really was something special about that china. The next time we used it was at our fancy dinner of fast food. We got to pick as much as we want that first time, and afterward we came home and set it all elaborately on the table. We filled gravy boats with cheese fries, piled fried chicken on platters, poured soda into gleaming crystal goblets. There was a glass of wine for Mom, and when it got late into the night, after Claire had gone to bed, she kept drinking it. I stayed quiet, listening while she talked and talked. Her mouth looked a little greasy from all that fast food, but I didn't even tell her. I wondered if she wished wished I was someone else and who that person was. When she cried, I told her it would be okay. I had no idea if that was true, but I figured that the person she wanted most was someone who could promise her things. That night, she polished off the whole bottle. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Soundpages is a Jackstraw production. The 2012 curator of this program is Sean Wong. This episode of Soundpages was produced by Mo Preventure. Recording engineers are CJ Lazenby, Tom Stiles, and Mo Preventure. Narrator is Alyssa Keen, and executive director of Jackstraw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by Rachel Matthews, produced through the Jackstraw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.